Hello and welcome to Impact Ed. I'm H.D. Chambers, Superintendent Schools for Ailey ISD. And as usual, I want to express uh, appreciation for those of you that are going to be watching this episode or listening to it. Hopefully it provides you some insight into parts, uh, very, very significant portions and parts of our community here in Aleaf. As you, as many of you know that that a listener watch our, our podcast, well, recently we've been having conversations with a, a variety of individuals that represent certain cultures and certain backgrounds within our Aleaf community. I'll set the stage uh, for those that are not familiar or just need to be reminded. Uh, Aleaf is, by data, the most diverse school system in the most diverse community in the state of Texas. We have roughly 90 different languages that are spoken spoken in our schools. And then we have obviously multiple, multiple cultures, backgrounds, religions, beliefs, uh, ethnicities, uh, you name it. And one of the things that makes me really, really proud to have served as superintendent for 10 years is watching how that diversity truly does does benefit our students and benefit our community. Not all communities can say that. In, in that vein, I have I've asked two uh, guests who are very, very instrumental in our community from our Asian community. And I want to introduce uh, Ms. Catherine Chang and Mr. Ben Yu. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves and tell, tell us a little bit about themselves. But our topic today, what we're going to talk about is kind of the experience that, that the Asian community has uh, has experienced uh, since COVID and even before COVID, but since COVID and the, the way in which it's impacted many, many of our Vietnamese and our Chinese and our South Korean and our Japanese citizens, our community members that represent many, many of, of the Pacific Rim and the Pacific Islander uh, population. So if you don't mind, I'm going to start with you, Catherine, maybe introduce yourself and just real quickly what you do. And then Ben, I'll turn it over to you and then we'll start this conversation. Hi, everyone. I am Catherine. I'm with a company called Houston Event Planning in Signature Manor. We've actually located in the Aleaf area since 2003. I'm very active in the community with the Houston Asian JC Foundation and Houston International JCs. So we love being an Aleaf and serving the community. And also our business loves being a part of that family. Thank you, Catherine. And Ben? Yeah, hi, uh, this is Bing, Bing Yu. Uh, I'm the chairman for Asian Chamber of Commerce. And uh, like Mr. Chairman said, we are actually in the Aleaf district too because it's such a diversity district and we're very proud to have a headquarters in that district as well. Thank you. And just so you all know, today as we're recording this, uh, Ben and part of his organization has been uh, giving vaccines out to many in the Asian community through various organizations. And I will tell you, Catherine, I know our school district is taking advantage of Signature Manor and and use that facility for multiple, multiple events. So the partnership between uh, the school system and the Asian community is strong. For the listeners, roughly 13 to 14 percent of our student population are from our uh, Asian backgrounds. We have many family members, many parents and in a tremendous amount of commerce through the through the through the district. Uh, through the International Management District and through a variety of, a variety of business uh, and commerce support drivers in, in our community. Let, let's let's go back to COVID for a second and and go back to March, actually a year ago today, yep. March 11th, March 12th. I remember closing school on uh, March the 12th for the 13th, making the decision. And then the next week was our spring break. And I remember thinking, you know, we'll probably – get away, you know, get through with spring break and then maybe have to be out of school for another week. But by the end of March, you know, we'll have kids back and everything will be back to normal. 
<laughs> man, was I wrong there. In the course of this, as we learn more about this virus, it became apparent to me that there was a lot of people blaming China, China as a country and then China as a people. I'd like for you, Ben, if you don't mind, maybe talk a little bit about how that impacted the community, the Asian community, the businesses. Fast forward 12 months late, Twelve months later, has it changed? Is it any better? And then obviously, Catherine, please chime in uh, from a business person's pr- perspective. So, Ben, talk about that a little bit, please. That's a very good question. That's a very important question um, and how the impact to the Asian community. Uh, actually, is, uh, if you remember, it's, uh, the, the impact to the Asian community actually started uh, before the, the U.S. pandemic. That started in January, early February last year. And that's, that time is, uh, was a rumor that uh, hurt our community quite a bit because the rumor talked about this, uh, uh, the virus from uh, China uh, came to Chinatown and we have uh, a couple of grocery stores and a few restaurants and uh, hurt by the rumor, by the Twitter and by the Facebooks. And that impacted our, uh, our business significantly that time. And uh, that time we, uh, um, uh, we have a restaurants uh, have to uh, force to close. We have a grocery store business drop seventy percent by the rumor, and the, what I feel pretty touched is about is uh, the Houston city, Houston, the mayor and the Harris County, the judge. They all came to the Chinatown and tried to educate the people about the virus and tell the the people how to face in the rumor. So I would say that the Asian community from impact standpoint uh, have some. Uh, <laughs> Got educated earlier than that. Was most of the business lost? Was it lost as a result of Asians not visiting there, or was it non your non Asian population that wasn't going to the stores or going to the restaurants? Yes, as a matter of fact, the most businesses are impacted by the Asian not come to the Asian uh, stores. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the, what the saved the Chinatown. That's where I want to talk about later on is uh, how the Asian com- contribute back because what the saved the Chinatown that time is actually there's a lot of non-Asians and the people from other uh, communities, you know, that uh, other ethnicities. They actually came to Chinatown to shop, to eat, to give a confidence to that community, and that we we as Asian in that uh, the district feel really touched. Catherine, you you run a business, and I'm I'm curious. Did you experience any of what Ben just described? It was going on in in many parts of the Asian community. Um, well, we were impacted a little differently uh, because, for example, last year to this year, we had an 87% loss from the year prior. So it was drastic. But ours was mainly because of the hospitality and the shutdown and you couldn't have events. And we went down to 25%, 50%. I've been doing LSIC High School's prom for like 13 years. <laughs> we, we're moving to prom. This is the second year. So it was more of the effects of COVID with us. We do have people that come in and tours and things like that. But the, the challenging part wasn't necessarily the uh, ethnicity issue. It was more like the virus is here. How do we keep people safe. Um, even with the 87% loss that our company did, uh, we weren't, we didn't want to lay off anybody. Like we felt so strongly that we'd rather get loans, kept our crew together because uh, they're vested. 
just like we were vested in the company. And even though we were at a huge loss last year, we still initially, we spent money out of our community funds to do a mass drive-through for senior citizens of the A-Leaf community and also distribute food multiple times with multiple organizations just to help out because if our community as a whole, A-Leaf and then Houston and then Texas is healthy, then our economy will get back and then our business will become to flourish again. So we're just holding on to make sure that when everything gets back to the new norm, we can go back to celebrating, having that wonderful prom that I've been dying to do for Elsick <laughs> in 2022. They're dying to do it too. I know. I know. It's, it's, and, and I want to uh, add on Catherine's point that, that when the pandemic happened, truly started in the U.S., in Houston. Like Catherine said, I, I feel pretty bad for Catherine's business there. They're our member, and they're supporting us all the time, but they're 87 drop, and that's a significant. And we have the, the large number, I would say majority of business, uh, may not be as big as Catherine, but they all got impacted, especially in those uh, restaurant business, hospitality business, and uh, and customer service already the business they their business got suffered so big you know so yeah. ben do you have a, a feel for how many businesses had to go out of business or how many were not able to overcome this yeah we have about uh, 140 restaurant owners and we see about i would say it's probably 15 percent restaurant they just couldn't survive and then they 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 I would say 15 to 20% and they, all the year until the end of last year, they changed ownership or closed down or uh, sold their business. And, uh, and the hotel business, I think, I think even suffered more. In our Asian Aware members in the, especially the Southwest district, uh, there are about six, seven uh, hotel owners and they have to post their hotels either shut down or put for on the market. And some of them are still in a closed period. So to give you that one example that uh, now is uh, this business starting to rebound, you know, one of the issues is uh, we couldn't find the, you know, some hotels, they, they because they're still closed, you know, so we couldn't find the owners anymore. We used, we used to work with them before. Right. Just driving around the, the community, driving down, and for those who are not familiar with A-Leaf, but, but those of you who are, you know, driving down Bel Air Boulevard and I guess on the west side of the of the Sam Houston Toll Road is mainly Vietnamese business, mainly Vietnamese community, the community. And I guess on the east side or the inside of the toll road, it becomes a much more of a Chinese culture. Did both of those parts of town in, get treated the same? In other words, did they, did they both suffer significant losses equally or did you see one over the other I, I i'm asking because of the chinese so much attention was given to the chinese issue on this so i'm just did the vietnamese communities suffer similar from a from a business perspective yes uh i we, we have the, the member in the international district which is a heavily uh, vietnamese uh, district and then on the other side of the way that's a more uh, chinese from my conversation with our members uh, they all cross the border, uh, impacted very similar way. Um, it's uh, especially the restaurant business, and the Asians very cautious, and the, the Vietnamese and the Chinese they all very cautious to go out, and that's where it's uh, uh, what I heard is uh, very similar. Yeah, Catherine, are you beginning to see light at the end of the proverbial tunnel here, and, and with a little bit of the policy decisions and with vaccines being predominantly, you know, more and more prevalent? 
What, what is your what is your outlook? It's getting a lot more positive. I'm seeing more people coming out, inquiring, actually doing weddings uh, or doing events. This is a very stressful time. And I don't think people realize how mental stress and emotion and the lack of people contact affects the individual because I'm in the business of celebrating and having a good time and weddings and proms and conferences where people gather. So the last year, what I've been doing is being a therapist. You know how many couples broke up? I mean, I had over 28% of my couples that didn't postpone their wedding. They canceled their wedding because they don't get along anymore. They moved in, COVID happened. They both stayed home and decided, you know, I can't deal with you. I was going to marry you and it was okay that you went to work (laughs) and I went to work. But now that I have to see you 24 hours a day, I I don't think I want to marry you anymore. I mean, I had therapy sessions for that. I had people that were doing anniversaries, celebrating their 25th anniversary that came to my office and broke down and started crying, going, I've been planning this for five years with you. And uh, now we can't celebrate that moment. And unfortunately, they had COVID and their family issues and people passed away. And I was sitting there as, as a therapist, no longer an event planner. I mean, even high school seniors, you know, this is their prom. This is their moment. They couldn't do it. And you can't redo a prom a year later because you can't get all the kids back anyways. So they lost that opportunity. And it's just very drastic. And we see something better now. We're seeing more couples as a, it's okay. Uh, we survived for a year. We better get married soon because I don't know how long I'm going to live. I might as well take this opportunity to marry you. <laughs> we see those too. Uh, they're getting married in a month from now. Wow. But on top of COVID, our area just had a freeze. I mean, who would have thought Houston would have a freeze? And uh, pipes burst. We didn't have power for three days. I mean, water was a challenge. I had a 350-person wedding that Saturday. I had to postpone for two weeks, which she ended up crying, upset. And then once we did the wedding, she was the happiest person alive. I mean, COVID's bad. Business is horrible. Freeze. All these challenges. But at the end of the day, I think 2022 is going to be better. And I think our lives together will become better once we can go see your friends and family and do that huggy thing that or a handshake thing that we like to do in the future. But right now, it's still slowly crawling through recovery. I never once thought about the the impact on on your business with people making decisions that perhaps they wouldn't have made before because they didn't know each other as well. And and there's a I know we kind of smiled and raised our eyebrows when you, when you made that comment, at least I did. Uh, but it's a serious that's actually a that's actually a real thing that I never once I didn't I never thought about that. You know, I think all of us have, have recognized Something that you mentioned earlier, Ben, about people coming in and helping you guys, helping the Asian community try to restore faith and confidence in in uh, in a restaurant or at a grocery store, and 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 deflect this blame that a lot of people so easily want to apply to anything. That if there's a problem, we can find out whose fault it is. It'll make us feel better about it, and and that I feel like that was that was done to the uh, particularly the Chinese community in particular because of the way the media reported out on the on the virus. I'd like y'all's comments on on what you've seen where people of different backgrounds are coming together. You you kind of alluded to it, Ben, but talk talk about that and 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 the good side of it and the and the not so good side of it. I mean there's 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 both. So I'd I'd like to have a conversation if we could around that. And either one of you guys can start on 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 your perspectives. Absolutely. 
in our, um, we, we think probably 20% of the restaurant business got in, impacted close you know, for sale. And also we also have uh, probably so 50% of the, the hotel business owners, they, they, they would struggle a lot. And uh, we have uh, a couple of members, they are the business brokers, and they told us that they're, uh, the restaurants, hotels, and also service business, uh, like marketing uh, firms, uh, events firms, like the catering, they 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 were in the old time high in the market, and uh, they uh, uh, just a lot of uh, business for sale. That's what they told us. And uh, so, but I would like to mention one important thing. Part is uh, even though a lot of Asian business they they were impacted, but when there's a COVID. Uh, hit hard in our community and the Asian business uh, doesn't matter Chinese, Vietnamese, uh, Korean or other ethnicities, Asian business, they they all come together facing that and then they want to work with all other ethnicities to facing the COVID. It doesn't matter if it's Chinese or this is uh, other communities. And so we, we give an example, we, we launched this uh, initiative called Asian American Salute Frontline Heroes. So we, we got uh, uh, hundreds of volunteers and the do- donation from uh, 100 restaurants. And we actually want to help in restaurants, but we were surprised that those restaurants, they already suffered, but they, always, but they, all, they all stood up. And drawing these alliances about this uh, uh, Asian American Salute program, and we donated uh, uh, over fifteen thousand meals to the front of the hospital. We covered almost like all the hospitals, Methodist, Merrill um, Herman, you named uh, MD Anderson, and uh, uh, fifteen thousand meals go also goes to the fire station, go to the police department, and, and then go to the communities, the government to who in the front line serving the community. And that, um, the, the, the campaign, um, and it was just so uh, successful. And we were pretty touched how the Asian uh, come together and then appreciate and also helping the, the front lines. That's where I give that, uh, I think it's a good example. There's a lot of, a lot of lessons to be learned over the last year. When, when you go through a crisis, one of the things we learn is what groups, what people, what organizations are going to be there when things get difficult. You know, we there's all kinds of sayings around this, you know. I feel like we've all been pressure tested. If you're an engineer, you kind of know before they turn something on, they, they test it to make sure there's no weaknesses in a valve or in a joint or in a, connect, a coupling and a connection. And if there is, they fix it. Well, we ha- we've been pressure tested through this entire this process. With that in mind, where where do you think within the Asian community the pressure test has been successful, and where do you think it has not been successful? In other words, where has the pressure been so great that it it actually it actually caused problems? When you when you have uh, when you have businesses like you were referring to, when you have restaurants and you have grocery stores that are beginning to suffer loss in sales, loss in revenue. Can't pay mm-hmm. bills. Can't pay. In, you know, cannot pay their their staff, their employees. Some some businesses are built to try to overcome that. Like some businesses would, the pressure that's being put on them, they've been prepared for that. Uh, whereas there are some that are that have not been. They they either either the pressure was so great that they couldn't overcome it, or the pressure was such that uh, they chose not to overcome it. They just said, "I'm I'm not. You know, th- th- it's not worth it. I I, I can't sell yes. with this." When I'm thinking about pressure, 
it's just all of these things that hit at one time. And, and Catherine mentioned it. You know, you have COVID. You've got a freeze. We were threatened by a hurricane uh, back in, 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 in the fall, early fall. All of these things that have occurred have created all kinds of pressures on us. Yeah. All kinds, fa- personally, family. Let me answer that one because I can tell you I've cried at least more than 600 times in the last year. <laughs> Uh, because of this pressure, because for me as an individual, I mean, I have 14 staff members and their family members that I need to take care of. If the business folds or if I made a bad decision, they don't have income and who are the ones that are going to support them. Uh, on top of that, I'm in charge of people's special moments. I mean, I don't want to be one of those venues like Noah and some of the others that are not going to fulfill their contracts and do their events. So it's a lot of pressure for us. But on the same side, I still have to pay our mortgage, our taxes, our payroll, our power bill that sometimes we get power, sometimes we don't, <laughs> but I still have to pay those bills. And that's that's a lot of pressure for us. So fortunately, I'm also part of the, the chamber. Luckily, I get information uh, about the SBA loans. Like Ben's group is really great at sending out uh, not only information, but resources or who to talk to or web seminars on how to apply for these things. Because for me, I can throw a wonderful party, invent, prom, anything. But when it comes to how do you apply for a disaster loan? How do you apply for EDIL? Or how do you get that PPP? And because I'm a small business, can I even get it? Because all the big companies are getting all this money. And can I even get the little crumbs to just uh, sustain the business and take care of my staff? Because they're my core of my business. Uh, So there's a lot of pressure out there. But fortunately, at least... uh, my experience with uh, being a resource, Asian Chamber of Commerce was that resource to get the information because I could I could design an amazing event, but when it comes to finance and business and the new resources during crisis, this is a That's major true. crisis. Yeah, yeah. But how we prepare, because our company's been around since 2003, for more than decades, we've been through the 9-11, the financial crash, the real estate crash. I mean, we're in this celebratory business and people gathering. So we always kept reserves every year because we're waiting for the next disaster. Mm-hmm. We noticed that uh, every four to five years or something is going to go wrong. <laughs> we just didn't realize it was this bad. <laughs> we're, 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 we can handle 20, 30 percent, no big deal. But no one expects to be a 87 percent loss because of governor's order of 25 percent go down, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that, that's how we dealt with the pressure. And fortunately, um, Ben's chamber is the resource that made it a little bit better and easier for us and our staff. Yeah, you didn't feel like you were on your own. You didn't feel like you were by yourself, which is provides some comfort. Doesn't pay the bills, but it provides comfort. It, it, it does, because it shows that there is a possible solution. It might not be the solution for the future, but being able to pay payroll for another two months is, is awesome for my staff. Right. Even though I had no events, sometimes I, I still wanted to make sure they sustained because it was important to us. We treat our employees like family. And just like you do, I know the Ailey family is, is really big and you guys took care of everyone as well. I know one of my staff members that recently became a window went through your food lines too. Remember when you guys were having food lines in A-Leaf? Mm-hmm. Well, she has a son in A-Leaf that goes to school there and she went through the food lines as well because at that time it was just tough. Money was tough everywhere. That's how we resolve the pressure. And I really appreciate Catherine the comments on the 
you know, uh, treat the, the the chamber as a resource hub. And yeah, there's a the pressure uh, in, in the beginning this, when this happened is extremely high for almost all the members. You know, managing cash flow is already pretty tight because so restaurant, hotels, and business, so any any other manufacturers, we have a, a trade company, tourist company. Uh, they they all stopped business basically, you know. So, managing cash flow, but like you said, it's a uh, it's not just a uh, the business stuff. Everything else just coming together at the same time. How to keep the safety? Number one, like Catherine said, is how to keep your employee on the payroll. Mm-hmm. And because at Catherine is very, they're eighty seven business percent down, but they still keep everybody on the payroll. And uh, uh, that how to figure it out, how to manage that. I think that's come with. Uh, the uh, that the chamber played a role is to to work with we work with SBA work with uh, uh, the the different governmental uh, entities to make sure you know calm down we we are here to help and help in terms of we, we have many webinars education mm-hmm. workshops and work with SBA we actually create mentor program to helping the the small business walk them through the whole PPP applications and so just basically get them to the hurdle. Uh, I think, Catherine, what you feel that the second PPP, we feel that the business owner, they feel a lot, uh, I don't say relaxed, but they feel a lot uh, comfortable and they feel that they're, they're not the nervous as attention like the first one that they had. You know, so. I do like the fact that this PPP was more geared towards smaller businesses because Shake Shack and all the big businesses, they really, yeah. I mean, public traded companies were getting more money than we were. And the first time PPP, we couldn't even get anything. Like they didn't even submit our application because everybody else took everything, you know, so quickly. So it was better this time that it was the micro businesses like us uh, getting a chance before the big giants yeah. <laughs> take everything. And if I, if I may champion the, the PPP from SBA from the government, it helps a lot. I would have to say that the city of Houston and Harris County, they stood up as well because there are many very small businesses that are much smaller than uh, Catherine's business, a one-person shop, mama-papa shop. They don't know how to maintain a record. The only thing they have is a bank statements. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they, they are the one uh, most time is uh, either not qualified or they don't know how to apply. Uh, so the, I, I, I really appreciate that the city and the county, they, uh, their economic department stood up and we partnered with them and applied this uh, grant from the city and county helping those very small businesses. Actually, we have uh, a dozen members receive those grants and they, they, they can't thank you that. No, that first, the first, first tranche of money didn't get into you. I know several people that are small business owners and uh, very close to one in particular that couldn't compete when you've got Fortune 500 companies. Like you said earlier, they're, they're, they're getting more of the food in the, the food trough than and it's all gone after after a short period of time. I'd, I would like, as we as we kind of close this up, I'd like to uh, go back to what, where we started with this, which is when, when the virus made its way to the United States of America and then the media began reporting the origins of it, or at least what they thought were the origins of it, which was, you know, Wuhan, and, and then people began taking out their frustrations on Chinese communities or uh, Asian communities, restaurants, et cetera, including... Asians. I want, I'd like to kind of go full circle. So here we are 12 months later. The virus is still here. It's not gone. There's more and more variants and more and more mutations of the virus 
get out into the into the public until we get herd immunity or some significant percent of our population vaccinated. Do you see the the perception that people that non Asians have of Asians has has that evolved? Because I know I know if you've paid attention to the the, the media in the last week, there have been more and more hate crimes towards towards people of Asian. Uh, I'm just wondering what are you seeing in our community? Is it still to that extent? Is it not? If it is, you know, how can we talk about that? How can we not just the three of us, but how can this be a conversation that is the same type of effect as perhaps uh, what our country's been going through for the last 12 months with social injustice, racial injustice, et cetera? So let me answer that in two part, okay? In the beginning of COVID, I can tell you it was a struggle being an Asian American, especially even, I live in the Cyprus area. So even going to the grocery store, my mother is, you know, came from Taiwan. So she's, oh, COVID's happening. So please make sure you wear a mask everywhere. At that time, it wasn't as man, it wasn't mandated. So I still wore a mask because my mother told me, of course, it would be a good daughter. But when you go to a grocery store with a mask and you look Asian, they just assume you have COVID in the very beginning. So you get a lot of very interesting looks. People walk away from you. It's just like I had the plague, even though it was something that was protecting them and, and myself. Eventually I had to change a little bit of my shopping habits and I Instacarted everything because I didn't want people to feel uncomfortable. So I changed that a little bit. And as I talked to nieces, nephews, colleagues, children, they had the same issue too when they're in school or in daycare where uh, as Asian Americans, a lot of our family members know to wear masks. They're used to that in Asian countries to wear masks in China and Taiwan. It's common. Yeah, it's not uncommon. I, I remember seeing Asians in downtown Houston wearing masks well before COVID. Exactly. So that was common for us. So it wasn't that we wore a mask because we're sick. We wore a mask because we want to protect against pollution or, you know, COVID or any kind of strain or whatever. But the uh, when you see someone with a mask, you just assume they're sick. Uh, and that's what the misconception was. So a lot of these younger kids were not not bullied, but kind of like um, put to a corner, you're sick, so we don't want to be near you because you have the virus or you have the plague. Or my mommy says, don't be around you because you have a mask on. But that isn't the case. It's hard for younger children to understand why their friends are not playing with them or why uh, why do I have to wear this mask, mom, when everybody thinks there's something wrong with me? Uh, so that was initially. So a lot of the people around it that's been doing it is tough. And once the mandate came in about it, it was a struggle. People didn't want to wear their mask. And for a lot of the Asian community, it, it, was, it was important that we did to keep us safe. Uh, so that transition was hard to become acceptable. Where just Wednesday now, the governor says, everybody can take off their mask. Now we're all scared. Even in our establishment, we still require them to wear masks because we're scared still. Not 50% of the people in Houston are not vaccinated. And most of my staff are in their 30s. They're not going to get vaccinated for a while. It's just because of their age. But they're still afraid because we're doing events. The governor says back to 100%. But we're like, "Mm -mm, I don't want to make my people sick. I don't want to make people sick. So that was a challenge. And as things progressed now, we're not as bad as California, New York, thank goodness, especially in our little area of Houston, uh, where an 84-year-old senior citizen was just walking on the street. And because he was Asian, they didn't like him. They pushed him. He hit his head. And later on, he passed away just because he was a senior citizen, vulnerable, and the person didn't like them because he was Asian. And there was a 64-year-old during Lunar New Year, 
we give out red envelopes. We go to the bank. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our Asian Americans or seniors were targeted during that time because they're coming out of the banks and, you know, they have cash and yep. they know where, you know, to get the money, basically. So our Asian American seniors were getting attacked uh, quite a bit nationwide. Uh, it was an increase of 150%, according to the hate crime study, the Center of Hating Stream, they did a study, it was over 150%, over 3,000 reported cases. But I'm sure there's more than 3,000 because a lot of the Asian Americans don't like to report crime. That's a big issue with our community. Something happens to us, we just go, oh, it's okay. We'll just leave it alone. It won't happen again. But it does. So those are major issues, you know, that are still happening. So it it was extremely challenging with the civil unrest as well. So COVID, civil unrest, uh, the winter weather, and then then again, this racial divide. As a business owner, there's no, I'm, I'm surprised no one, you know, had a nervous breakdown, right? That's a lot. They probably did. They just, they just try not to do it in public, you know. <laughs> I have a little corner with a pillow. <laughs> I know, you, Catherine, you said you counseled a lot of your clients. Ben, I'm sure you had to counsel a lot of your, your members, your chamber members. We, we do, we, we actually have a form of special uh, alliances committee uh, to do uh, two things. One is to, we launched a campaign to educate the mainstream about how the uh, Asian, and uh, not just only business, uh, Asian people being uh, you know, uh, discriminated and that there's a lot of put them in dangerous place. And then we put in the ad in the Chronicle and then try to get alliances together to uh, fight for that. You know, And the second thing we do is educate our business owners too, because we do have uh, uh, business owners uh, uh, get really concerned about this, uh, this whole uh, anti-Asian, anti-China, uh, these things, uh, this uh, China virus, and especially uh, some uh, political uh, politicians using that as their campaign. That's a really uh, target that makes them feel very nervous. We do have a, a one uh, restaurant owner in the uh, Vietnamese restaurants at the, uh, the, the Buffalo Speedway, and they, he's, uh, uh, there's, uh, there's one person shouted on him and outside the restaurant uh, for uh, for a long time and then eventually caught by media and uh, those are the, the business owner they got them freaking out and uh, so it's uh, uh, from business standpoint how I would say the how we make education to the to the uh, to the mainstream side Asian American they are Americans and they are they are they are good Americans just like other people and uh, and that's a put the respect on them that's important that's that's that is why when we have this uh, launch the campaign like the the, the salute campaign and so many uh, Asian business owners and also the people they come together because they want to show how they help in the communities you know contribute back to the communities and that's important yeah uh, several weeks ago I had an impact ed uh, episode with a an African-American teacher at one of our high schools. We talked about the perspective from the African-American community and, and the conversations that, that our teachers were having with students, particularly our high school age students and middle school students who on a conscious level knew they were able to figure out what was going on across the country in the sum, during the summer when you had the, uh, the protests and the civil unrests. And are those conversations being had with, with children in the Asian community as well? Is there, 
the family unit is is the, what types of conversations are moms and dads having with their with their their children about some of the things that you described with it within your community. That's a very good question. As uh, even at Asian, in talking about the uh, um, the me as uh, the first immigrant to U.S. and my the, my daughters as as uh, born in U.S. as the American. That's uh, so this. Uh, we definitely have a different background that's different uh, different view um, sometimes we're not always uh, con- considered always the same um, i think it's a my experience the most important is to from asian community even ourselves we need to learn each other learn from the generation first generation to second generation and like i learned a lot from my daughter um, from her view about the uh, how this uh, uh, racism uh, happened. What's her view on how this the people should be united together? And because I have my own come my own background, then that's why I feel like you know I need to. Uh, even though she's just fifteen years old girl, I'm, I can learn a lot from her, which is I did. And sometimes come to with uh, I saw some news about some uh, uh, arguments and in inside a family. And I think it's important and for it's not Asian is always have, you know, the parents say everything you have to follow. I think in the US, the way to learn for me as a first generation, I have to learn a new way to educate my child. And mm-hmm. uh, that's, a, I, I really like that question. It's a, actually, I thought of a lot of myself too. <laughs> yeah. As an educator and as a parent myself, and I, obviously, I'm not an immigrant to this country. I, I, I mean, entrenched here with my with my family for decades and decades. We all we often find in education that in order for us to be able to help children from different this, these diverse backgrounds, we have to understand their their family's culture and what their family is expecting of them, what they're being asked of by mom and dad, or by or what the the unwritten rule is. You know, the unwritten thing. You know, asking a teacher to figure that out when a teacher has 24 students and 12 of them are from different countries or different cultures can be, uh, well, it's just impossible. It's it's hard. It's it's it's, it's really difficult. Uh, I find it interesting, Ben, you talking about you, know, you being an immigrant and your daughter's a, technically a, a you know, U.S. citizen born in the United States. And she's probably seen, uh, I use, this is my word, this is not your word, but some of them get Americanized, right? They they get, they, they get, uh, they get accustomed to the culture and then mom and dad are saying, wait, there's part of me that was raised this way. And so there's this conflict within the, uh, within the family. I hear that all the time from our, from our, not just Asian. I hear that from every ethnic background kids saying that, you know, my dad doesn't understand. I'll, I'll say this in the, within the Asian community, within the African-American community, within the Latino community, for those families that have made the sacrifices to come to our country uh, and you know far better than I do what those are. I, I, I'm under no illusion that I can relate to that. But I am constantly impressed. I'm not. I'm not surprised. But I'm constantly impressed with students and how they recognize the sacrifices that their families have made. Uh, I have had multiple students in, in on this podcast that back when we were sitting doing this live uh, would sit across the table from me and talk about their mother and their father in terms and dive quite blunt with you never heard my children talk about i mean and part of it's this deep deep respect and this deep deep rooted uh gratitude for picking up and leaving a country and literally starting over I just know from an educator i'm just commenting you don't have to respond to that unless you want to but from an educator's perspective it happens all the time those children whether they're telling you or not 
they will talk about it. And it is on it is on their mind. And it is not lost upon them when they get to a certain age to understand what their parents had, had have done and and what and why they did it. Why why parents did it. Actually uh, if I if I may have a suggestion from uh, the, the, from your ed- education standpoint, maybe involve the parents like us, especially like me as a first immigrant. That's uh, uh, you know they they keep this country for school, but they're the first half of the life is probably the other country, and they even though uh, they claim that they understand, but they don't. You know, in the in the about American history, the culture, the the, the recognition, the respect, and in many ways uh, we live in our own world sometimes. So the school history like you is a uh, perfect opportunity to involve them and create some more collaboration between the, the children, their parents, and using your environment, using your resources, and can uh, harmonize that, uh, that kind of relationship. I think that's a, put a, can put a really long way to helping the, 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 the children in a long way and also helping the parents understand where they come from. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's a, just some thoughts in my, in my mind. <laughs> no, it, that's a legitimate, very, very astute recommendation that we're always trying. We're always trying. We educators, we attempt to engage parents, particularly uh, in these diverse communities so that we can understand the, again, going back to what I said earlier, we can understand the parents' point of view. Not nearly to the extent we should. And, and, and Ben, I think we should have a much more robust uh, less cumbersome way of doing that uh, so that yes. there's discussions. And so you're right. You would benefit as a parent that hopefully your child would benefit. And then we was a, as a, as a, as a team of three, the parent, the school and the, and the child, the student can make that, a, make education a much more meaningful experience for the kid. And so that there's not this constant friction. I don't know that. I know we kind of got off the, <laughs> off the subject, but that's this. I find this, this part of the conversation is critical to how we move forward. It's it's absolutely critical. Children need to be watching their parents how they handled this crisis, and they were. Children have watched. They've watched the adults, and and they're going to learn. And they're and they're going to emulate to a certain extent. They're going to emulate that. So, listen, we're going to wrap this up. We've been going at this for quite a while, and I I can talk about these topics for a long time. But Catherine, I wanted to. Uh, in this by just asking you any final thoughts what have lessons learned within the Asian community uh, perhaps what's the Asian community learned from yourself I mean learn from themselves thoughts um, I'm two parts um, what the Asian community have learned we could depend on each other in our community and also our community at large it's not we're not in there we're not by ourselves and we're not alone so we don't have to feel like we're isolated uh, and reach out and talk to people but the second part of it is the hospitality ring that, that I'm in. I just, I'm urging and encouraging people uh, to do more because now that you are you're getting vaccinated, definitely getting better, the situation, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, make sure you're doing events with meaning and purpose now because you didn't have contact with your family or you don't get to travel or vacation. You, I have a new appreciation on life. I mean, I, I'm grateful for every single day that I'm, alive and be able to uh, deal with these crises. You know, it is a blessing in disguise. So if you are doing events or you're doing gatherings or family things, make it worth it. And for example, Ben, just a quick little thing. He's actually doing gala differently. You know how everyone does galas, dances, uh, fundraisers, all these things. Actually the chamber is doing a rebound, rebuild and reunite. So that way it's not just having gathering people for the sake of gathering, 
they're gathering to help businesses network, to help each other, to generate business, to re-network and reconnect with people again, and to kind of foster that relationship and then celebrate that we are now able to see each other rather than this little 2D, I can actually physically go out and see someone 3D. I mean, those little things matter. So do things with meaning, gather with meaning, uh, do events with meaning and have that appreciation of life because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And do them at Signature Manor, right? Do all yes, <laughs> that too. Let Signature Manor do your events or call us at Houston Event Planning. Let us do your proms, your events. Uh, Let us make I, it fun. <laughs> but I'd give you a shameless plug. Thank you. <laughs> ben, ben, final thoughts, lessons learned that you, you want to share? Yeah, I, I want to anchor what Catherine said. It's uh, it's time it's time to rebuild, rebound, right? You know, and uh, I think it's important to think about the business like Catherine and their business, 87% down in the last year. What the, when the business is rebound, rebuild, and think about helping those companies like Catherine's company, the event planning company, helping the restaurant, helping the, the hotels, and do any little things helping them because they are the ones suffer. And then they, they, they help them because we need them and they, they need the, 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 the people's help as well. So I would encourage, uh, that's why the Catherine mentioned our gala, you know, we're going to spend this much dollar. We want to help as much as we can and hope everyone to step up helping uh, those small businesses who suffered in the last year. Well, on behalf of the school system uh, that educates the children of all communities, uh, including obviously the Asian community, we appreciate your uh, leadership within your community. I've often heard, and I, I'm sure it's been said thousands of times, but our country, the United States of America, is made up of thousands and thousands of small communities. And if those thousands and thousands of small communities would take care of themselves and look out for each other and do the things that you guys have been describing and look beyond skin color, look beyond ethnicity, look beyond language barriers, look beyond all the things that we try to differentiate ourselves by, then our country will be stronger than it has ever been. And I, I, I want to appreciate, I want to express our appreciation to the two of you and in addition to all of your, all of your colleagues and all of the people that you work with uh, to try to help take care of your community. It's your, it's your, it's yours. It's not mine. It's not, it's your community. And, and it can be a mixture of Asians and, uh, you know, African-American, it could be, it could be everybody, but, but whatever that community is, we all need to take care of ourselves. Just help each other out. Be a good neighbor. Just, just be a good neighbor. And so uh, thank you for your conversation today. I, I, I hope those watching or listening got a little bit of a flavor for the Asian community in our district some of the trials, some of the, the concerns that we have, that they have, the biases and, and how that's impacted them. And, and, and then the lesson learned, I think, is what Catherine and Ben kind of said, is pulling together, working together, keeping your eye on the, on the, the light in the tunnel, but also understanding the, the clear realities of what's going on right now. And uh, so with that, uh, thank you for both of you. Thank you very much for your time. I know it's, a, it's busy and, and uh but I think our community is is going to benefit from this discussion. I really do, really do. Thank so you. this has been HD Chamber uh, Impact Ed with Aleph ISD. Uh, thank you guys. Take care of yourself. Stay safe, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been an AMP production.